All right. And thank you, first of all, everybody who is here on purpose and those of you who are here by mistake, those of you who were listening to the last show that uh, was on BBS. We thank you for sticking around. My name is Brand Duality. Uh, government name, we'll get into that a little bit later, but you are now listening to Three Sides to the Story, or as we like to shorten it, the three-sided story. Uh, we unfortunately are missing one of our sides of the story today, but let me introduce you to the second side. My very good friend and very good guy that I know, uh, he's been in my life for a few years. His name is Deontay Quinn. Deontay, go ahead and take it away, brother. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, my name is Deontay. Um, me and Brandon have been friends for um, a few years now. Um, I know he gave his like his his nickname, Branduality. I unfortunately don't have one. I'm pretty simple. So Deontay is pretty cool. Tay is fine. And if we're close enough, last names are always good, too. Queen is great. Um, I usually go by that on all social media platforms. And, uh, um, yeah, we've been friends for quite a long time, and it was just an honor a few weeks ago, you know, during this lockdown, we have been talking or whatever, and he brought the idea of just doing this this show um, to me and a friend of ours who's not here. And, um, you know, it's just it's funny because, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm, like, honored, or I don't think I'm, like, you know, I don't think I'm certified in a lot of places, but I just um, still think that it's just... Uh, it's just a great when you know your brother and your friends can see that there's a need in, in the community, and um, you know they want you to be a part of it and they want you to help. So I'm just ex- excited to be here and just excited to see where things will go. Oh yeah! All right. So uh, thank you for your introduction, Deontay. Um, a little bit about myself. I put a little bit of something together earlier today. Hopefully I won't have to do this very often, but for the first couple of shows, you will hear this more than likely again. But <laughs> the real name is Brandon Rimston. I prefer to be called Brand Duality. That is my radio station name. And also, I don't want anybody following me and trying to send me hate mail for some of the stuff that I might say here. Um, I'm 34 years old. I have five kids. I am a writer, a salesperson, and a customer service specialist. If you don't know what that is, Ask your grandma how to be nice to people, and she'll tell you exactly what I do. Um, I've given speeches, recited poetry, and proposed legislation in front of politicians, uh, TV personalities, millionaires, and billionaires. As a black man with unique experience and cultural outlook, I bring a voice to many who feel voiceless. I'm a bit of an old-school dude with a modern view of the world. I bring one side of the story, but on that side will always remain a willingness to learn, change, or stand firm. Life isn't easy from this side of the story, but neither is it from yours. And I want you all to remember that. So, Deontay, a little bit of your background, a little bit of what gives you the experience as as a black man to, to speak on the experiences that we all have to go through as people. Well, I'm going to, I'm the youngest one here, so I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know if that's going to be, like, problematic in the future. Or, hey, you I don't know, the we'll bloody. see how that goes. But I'm um, I'm 24. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Detroit. Um, I was lived very lightly and lived very, like, a little bit in Atlanta. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've been here all my life. I graduated from high uh, from South Carolina. I went to college in Wayne State. Um, now I'm a manager. 
And I mean, my favorite hobby is cooking. I cook all the time. Um, my world, like my view on the world is, I guess, conservative in nature, Christian and conservative, which is kind of awkward because I'm a guy who has like attractions and have been with other men. So, you know, those things, um, they kind of don't correlate together, but that's just my outlook on life. Um, at the end of the day, like the the way I look at the world, um, I'm a black man, obviously, um, and in these times that we live in, um, it's hard to be just black. It's hard to survive. Um, and I mean, when you look around, the men are missing, the women are fed up, um, and you know, nobody's guiding the children. So I um, think that we all need to have, like, you know, conversations and just see where we all can do um, better across the board. So I just come from a point of view of just wanting to see my black people succeed and wanting to see our black men take their position in our households. And my review will be sometimes a little conservative or whatever, but, you know, I've done a lot of stuff, so, you know, it's, it's all from a place of love. I understand it all. All right, all right. <laughs> so with that being said, you and I uh, actually spoke the other day. Um, in preparation for the show. <clears throat> and I remember us talking, well, the first thing that we, we've got to talk about is the, the coronavirus, first and foremost. Uh, where were you? I mean, have, have you been shut down? Or where were you when everything just seemed to shut down around you? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm shut down enough like everybody else. I work in, um, like, I work in food or whatever, so I'm still going to work. Um, so prior to this, you know, I was one of those people um, that thought that this was all, like, a, 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 a fallacy. I thought it was a lie. Um, I thought it all was a ploy and just an attention grabber. So, you know, for a while when things, you know, like when stuff first started to come out and started to hit the news, I was still just like, I mean, all right, okay. This is like before we even went on lockdown. Um, and then we went on lockdown, and we, when we went on lockdown, I still was, like, just still kind of in that space of being like, yeah, I don't know, like, how much I believe into this. But now moving on, and today, I, it's, I've definitely changed my mind on that. It's something that's definitely crazy. And I'm just, to be quite honest, I'm just ready for it to be over. I don't know what the world <laughs> is going to look like after we come out of something like this, but I'm just ready for it, for us to be at that point. All right, so, so, all right, once again, for everyone who's listening, Deontay has already expressed that he has conservative points of view, so we will respect that today, but I don't know, where I, I was actually at work, um, and we were not too far away from a police station, and some of the policemen came over and they said that the uh, complex was shut down, everybody had to go home. And I had heard about coronavirus. I mean, when I hear about things, I usually take them seriously, especially when we're not hearing about it until January. And it basically dropped in China in late September, early October. <clears throat> so after hearing that part of the information, I'm like, all right, yeah. So, you know, they know something. I work right next to a Chinese food place. So if we shut <laughs> down, <laughs> they got some insider information. So let me go ahead and take my myself home. Let me go ahead and chill in the house, get some things together. And, you know, the beautiful thing that came out of this 
is the, the three-sided story. You know, the ability to, to, you know, sit at home and have an idea and, and to be able to, to bring it to fruition without the rest of the world, you know, interfering with that. You know, if I had to go to work, there's no telling if three-sided story would have happened. Oh, I definitely can say that some good things have come out of like out of this situation. It's not all bad. I mean, I've definitely had a good time to um, reflect on my life and do a lot of, I guess, soul work and uh, mental work on myself. Um, as well as just, um, you know, when life is moving and everything is just going on every day, um, you start to like create this list of things you want to do of places you want to take your life. And every day when you get stuck in that work, that list, you know, it gets, it seems harder and harder to accomplish. So um, with all this time that we've been having, it's just, I've definitely taken the time to just sit down and make some goals and plan some things out. So that has definitely been my godsend because I don't know if we'll ever just get this, this downtime to really focus and prioritize things and really put the focuses where they need to go like ever again. Exactly. You know, I was having a conversation with my daughter a little, a little earlier last week, and I had to bring to her attention the fact that this is the only time in your life that you will ever be able to just sit down and do nothing. It's the only time for the rest of her life she's going to be she's going into her sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, literally for three hundred sixty-five. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you are going to have something on your mind of an adult nature of, you know, something that I've got to get done. Or even, you know, as a teenager, the things that you've got to do in school. You know, this is the only time that you're going to get to sit, reconnect with yourself, reconnect with whoever it is that you place at the head of your life or whatever it is that you place at the head of your life, your family, and, and, and what it is that you do creatively. You know, in this time, when we come out of this, <clears throat> a lot of our manufacturing is going to be shut down. A lot of new businesses are going to have to start up. And those are coming from the people who are taking this opportunity creative, taking the opportunity to, you know, take this time to 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 see that idea, that dream, that those aspirations all the way through. Yeah, right. definitely. And I just thank I just thank God that during this time that I'm still working, um, you know, just to hear about all the stories about unemployment. And even I still have filed underemployment, even though I'm still working. And, you know, it's still, you know, just imagine if I'm not working, I'm trying to get through to the unemployment lines, um, not knowing when my next meal or next paycheck is going to come. It's just really still a blessing that even during, you know, um, this hard time that I was still able to work or whatever. Um, you know, you look up and you read, look at the news and you read the newspaper and you read these articles online. It's just scary. The reality we live in at this point, it's just, it's just very scary. And it's just, it's just very sad to see a lot of people not, you know, making it through this. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, my sister, <clears throat> excuse me, has been diagnosed four separate times since all of this broke out. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And just imagine the mental strain that that creates. Because from the outside looking in, 
I would feel like I'm in the movie of, like, I feel like I'm in contagion. I don't know what's going to happen. So to go through a process like that four different times, I just can't even imagine the mental strain that it's been. Oh, yeah. And luckily, she's being strong. You know, she's taking this opportunity to, to, to really, you know, ingrain herself in family and her spiritual life. Uh, you got some other things going on that, are not necessarily conducive to her getting better. Uh, you know, and I'm not a fan of those things, but I'm glad that my sister is getting this opportunity to, to, to really sit down because she works hard. You know, and it sucks that it, it took coronavirus attacking her body to get her to sit down during this coronavirus. But she's one of those people that I've literally told, like, look, dude, just, just go home. Like, forget what your child's talking about. Like, just chill out. You know, she's got some other things going on and has some other things going on before this happened. So that was my biggest concern with her. But on a lighter note, during this coronavirus, we have had the opportunity and most people have had the opportunity to get to know their partner or the person that they're talking to a little bit better. So how about you, Deontay? How's, how's Corona Romance treat you? Or Corona Coromance. There we go. Coromance. Man, I don't. Uh, I I feel like I'm being ambushed right now. I don't. I don't know. My Corona love life is it's okay. It's pretty decent. I'm not <laughs> arguing with my partner or anything, and we're not at each other's throats. I mean, we've had like one or two arguments. They haven't been anything like super duper crazy or anything. I'm um like I'm a simple guy. I just play video games and eat food and go to work and go to the gym. So without without much work and without much gym, it's just me playing video games and me watching TV. So I don't know how much arguments can come out of that. But, um, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, like, it's just good that at least I like the person that I'm with or whatever. You can imagine, like, some of these stories that I've read about people who just had this time down with their spouse. I've read the story about a lady finding out that her, her husband was sleeping with other men. It's just, I don't know, you know, I'm just, it's just crazy. It could be a lot worse. I mean, but coronavirus, do well, quarantine does hit different with that PS4 beeps. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. When you quarantine, you have to make the best out of it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I do understand. You're in the house with all these personalities, and, you know, you're just talking about spouses. I know you've been saying, you know, you're talking about your daughter. I don't have kids, and I'm pretty thankful about that right now. I'm not saying that kids are a bad thing. I want them one day, but I can't imagine dealing with my personality, then my partner's personality, and then dealing with my kids' personality. I don't, you know, I don't know how that would go. To be honest, they they break the monotony, you know, because when you're sitting here, you know, there's usually going to be one partner in, in the relationship who's a little flighty, who's a little more like, okay, you know, I'll let the world come to me. And then there's one who worries and plans, you know, and is like, oh, okay, well, we've got all this time, so let's get all this planning done. And I'm the flighty one. Like, I've taken this opportunity to chill, get, you know, get back centered, you know, do some inward stuff. I, I haven't decided to work out yet, but hopefully that'll come. <laughs> but, you know, my girl is, is you know, yo, let's plan. You know, let's, we got this to take care of. We got that to take care of. And, you know, my little homie, which is what I call my daughter, <laughs> my little homie is, you know, she breaks the monotony. You know, it, it's, 
business here. You know, me and my girl chill and we, you know, kick it and laugh and not saying it's all business there. But, you know, when I'm talking to my daughter, I slip in some life lessons, you know, during the conversation. But, you know, hearing stuff like, yeah, so, and like, um, I was telling her and, um, and when I told it, and so, so what happened was, and like, you know, it just, it, it brings you back to a simpler time. Yeah, and no, like even now when I'm at home, you know, I hear the kids running outside. It's something about stuff like that that just brightens up your day. To just, oh, yeah. you know, to just still see what I just consider to still see kids living. You know, like I said, I'm young, I'm 24, I know I'm still a kid, but we are talking about the babies. Like to still right. see the babies living and and still being excited and just still just doing what they do for their time or whatever. That's the stuff like that still continues to bring me joy. And I think those moments are like really important. It's important, like I said, um, and like you're saying, just to um, have those moments. And it's crazy because a lot of people don't have, like, family. Some people are quarantining by themselves and stuff. And yeah. um, my heart just really goes out to those people because it can get hard when you're just in those same in those same rooms and in those same four walls day in and day out. And, I'm, you know, I, I think about my mom a lot during this because my mom is, you know, her the extent of her, her family is her three sons, me and my brothers, and our children. Mm-hmm. That is the full extent of her biological family. So, you know, during this time, my <clears throat> younger brother is engaged. He's out there with, you know, his fiance. I'm living with my fiance. My older brother is married and lives in Arizona. So, you know, thinking about my mom, and even though we're in the same city and I'm not anything more than like a seven-minute drive away from her, you know, it's still mm-hmm. she's by herself. You know, my mom is never really been since she's had children by herself Mm -hmm. you know and and to know that all of this is going on around her you know it was crazy a couple of weeks ago my mom's phone wasn't working and i'm not one to trip about it because i know my mom my mom is the type if i really need to get in contact with somebody i will you know my mom's a hustler like that it's easy just so happened that her her phone charger cord wasn't working anymore. So all the times. I heard that and she's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be getting one delivered. And I'm like, when is it supposed to be here? She's like, well, tomorrow. I'm like, all right, so I'm on my way. Without talking to you. Not even that. You know, for me, I it's weird between me and my mom. Me and my mom, if you hear me talk to her, you're like, oh, my God, like, you guys are, I mean, for lack of a better word, or excuse my, my, my dialect, but mm-hmm. my girl was like, oh, my God, you, y'all are so gay. Because I'm just like, <laughs> and like, not, not necessarily gay in a homosexual sense, but hey, no, I get, what you're, very, I get what you're saying. Though. And a very happy, mushy, like, that's my mommy. I'm 34 years old. I have four natural born children and one child of my heart and of my soul of my own and that's still my mommy you know when mm-hmm. i talk to her i'm i got the biggest smile on my face we're always laughing and joking and people would assume that i speak to my mom every day or at least once or twice a week and that's not the case like mm-hmm. i can go maybe two or three months without talking to my mom 
And it's not that I'm not thinking about her. <laughs> it's not that I don't love her. It's not that I don't, you know, want to get a contact her and, you know, see how she's doing and connect. But that's just the person that I am. Like, my family has learned my mind that. Week, so I can I understand, I guess. I mean, they've learned with me no news is good news. If I'm calling that's too true. consistently, something's going on. I don't like to think like that. I don't know. My mom is like my real life, like best friend, like my real <laughs> life best friend. My mom has raised me and my two little sisters. It was just basically her. And she just, you know, she did what she had to do. She worked endless jobs and worked two jobs. And she just was a very good mom. And my mom is like my best friend. Even when it came to me coming out and, you know, she, she asked questions like, well, who pays for dinner? We well, usually the top pays dinner and the bottom doesn't. Well, what's the top and what's the bottom? You know, <laughs> that's the type of stuff that she does or whatever. Um, but, yeah, my mom, like, during all this time or whatever, my mom, she's um, a manager at an office for Beaumont. So um, she works in the health field. So I've just been, you know, praying for her. And, you know, things are just so surreal for everybody. She's even at her job. She looks up and everybody has been laid off. You know, she's still working and she's still healthy. So, um, you know, just even during this time, she's just managing to, you know, just still be happy and stuff like that. And my mom, she recently got married, was it last year, two years ago? It's super recent, though. So, you know, as far as, like, you know, she has somebody at home with her. So, as far as I don't have to worry that far. Oh, okay. Well, that congratulations was my wedding present, so hopefully she accepts it. No oh, that's okay. yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's fine. No, nah, I'm just joking. I get her something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Words are good enough. Yeah, but no, because I'm expecting her to hook me up when I get married too. So you know, <laughs> just filing that one away for the for the win later. Okay, I got you. I can see that. <laughs> you know, yeah, you support everybody. So when you turn around, they can support you. Oh, yeah. I mean, the richest man in the village is usually the man who's giving away all of his riches. I'm not going to say I've heard that parable before, but yeah, all that. Oh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, if if I'm giving you what you needed to get started to, to build your billion-dollar business, if I'm ever hurt and you're a good person or you you got some sort of heart, you're going to look back. You're going to say, you know what, this person, you know, in a little bit of a situation, let me go ahead and help out. And it's not for me to get anything back because at the end of the day, we're supposed to, as human beings, do things with no expectation from any other human being, but for them to do it for somebody else. I don't, I don't need anything paid back to me directly because the universe, God, whoever it is that you, you know, you, you put your faith into, is going to give it back to you many times over. That's what I believe in. That's what I stand on. That's what I, you know, was raised up as because, you know, when you do good, you get good. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what you don't receive in this life, you don't get it in the next. Mm-hmm. I feel you in your, what you don't get in this life, you'll get it in the next. And what I don't get in this life, I ain't need. Oh, exactly. 
the things that I want is is completely contrary to the things that I need most times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you hear just go ahead and, and bless your generation. Some work you're doing not to see you the blessing for yourself, but for the people that come after you. Exactly. <clears throat> and that is one of the main points of our show. To explain to not only this generation, the generation before us, but especially the generation after us, that it is it's on us to make the changes that we want to see in this country, in our society, in our own, you know, in the world. You know, I'm not one of those people that you'll ever hear the expression of "we got to stop killing us so they can stop killing us." I will never be that guy. And the only reason I'll never be that guy is because no one else needs an explanation for people to, to stop misusing or abusing them. Oh, yeah, not at all. No one needs an explanation. When men try to mansplain rape, they're eaten alive now. When people try to mansplain or when people try to explain why, you know, pedophilia is bad or why they try to explain why pedophilia is good. Now they're eaten alive. So we need to take the same approach. We can't continue to sit idly by and let these things pass. Because at the end of the day, it's not incumbent upon us to keep you know, other people from from abusing our community because we, to be completely honest, don't know much better. Don't see much better. Yeah, they don't know. I mean, people don't know much better because it's, it's been an ongoing problem for so long. So, like I say, I'm 24. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really have right, a father. You're, you're breaking up a little bit. I had my I granddad. And, you know, some people don't even have that. And, you know, all they have to look up to is the, the people that they see on TV. And who they usually see on TV? The athletes and the rappers. And, you know, some you know some people do get back to the community. You'll find some good people on there, but 90% of them don't. And then you'll have... Um, you just have you you just have what you have today. People walking around that don't know nothing about themselves, don't respect themselves, or don't respect others. And you know, if if, if nobody does anything, and if nobody says anything, things are just going to continue to get worse. And you know, it's just going to keep getting. It's, it's not going to. Nothing's going to get better. And the next generation is going to be worse than this one. Mm-hmm. So. What what do you think our role as, as black people, as far as the, the the way the government sees us, what do you think our role is to them in this country? Um, to be quite honest, I don't really, I don't know the answer to that. I want to say I would, I wouldn't know. Black people don't know what our role is ourselves. I think that's how the government feels. They don't know what our role is either. You look at these people that know how to do anything, that know how to do everything and anything they put their minds to um, as far as creating, as far as the physical things, as far as intellectual. Um, so I just don't think they they 
know where that fits in in that view of society and within that view. And we're, we're talking about people that are, are not black here. Um, you know, we don't know like how that you know how black people makes them feel when it comes to what they how they feel they are and what their culture represents. Um, but I just feel like black people is just the question mark to them. They don't really, they don't understand us. They don't understand why we're able to do the things that we do. They don't understand why our music sounds the way it sounds. They don't understand why our bodies the way they are. They don't understand our hair, our features. And, uh, that's really just what it is. I think they really adore it though, because, um, usually always see it everywhere. Now, the one thing that is definitely understood is our buying power. So I'll tell you exactly what this government believes black black people are and what they have carefully crafted black people into, the consumers. We are the largest consumer base in the world as far as money spent. How is it when we only make up 13% of 300 million people on one in one country? I mean, we can say a lot about that. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I mean, we can say a lot about that one specific issue. I feel like, you know, I feel like we have a problem of, you know, not being money savvy and, you know, good with saving. And I feel like, you know, we're so... We're so used and for coming out of a place of not having any money. And the first time that we get some money, what are we going to do? Buy things that we've always wanted and never been able to buy before. Yep. So well, I remember during our conversation, I think I might have touched on this the other night when we were talking, um, what they did in place of the 40 acres and a mule for black people after slavery, which was a bank. Now, the unfortunate thing about this bank is it went bankrupt. The bank went bankrupt <laughs> in less than 12 years. So for the first 12 years of slavery, we did have a place where we could place our money, where we could actually get loans and all of that other good stuff. But unfortunately, like we, you know, contrary to what we've seen recently in America, banks were not too big to fail back then. So the only black bank or the, the only bank that was dedicated to giving black people the opportunity to advance sociologically, economically, went bankrupt in 12 years. That to them was their 40 acres in the mule. That to them was the reparations for everything. We gave you guys a bank. It failed in 12 years. Uh, what can we do? Yeah, we didn't teach mm-hmm. you any financial literacy. Yeah, we didn't teach this this bank itself how to finagle the system or how to move in and out of the system, how to invest properly, how to invest smartly. And we, you know, the same thing that we did to the, the people who ended up becoming sharecroppers. We, we sent you out. We told you to get a job. You found that there was no way for you to get a job. So you ended up going back to the same exact place that held you as slaves and sharecropping. Now, sharecropping, they would lend out the tools. They would lend out the land. They would lend out the, the seeds. They would lend out all of these things so that you actually, at the end of the year, ended up home. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a, a redundant cycle where we'll give you the opportunity to make money, but the money that you make is going to go into our economy. When you build an internal economy, such as Tuskegee, not Tuskegee, excuse me, um, Tulsa, Tulsa, Rosewood, uh, Rosewood. Rosewood as well. Tulsa, Oklahoma was Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So when you build an internal economy, we're going to find a way to to tear it down or let it. Well, you well you know when you start building internal economies and stuff, the country is going. That's when you start getting labeled like things like terrorist organizations and stuff. That's when the country is start making these labels, start portraying these things about you know us becoming militant and probably becoming one nation and things of that nature. True. So, yes, definitely, it's, it's definitely a, a, a downside to everything, you know. But we why did to go ahead and figure it out and get our own, and then the moment we do figure it out and get our own, somebody's either going to steal it or somebody's either going to tear it down. Yep. And that's one of the reasons is because we don't have any international backup, or at least not that we readily access. I mean, we have international backup. We we just don't access it. So when you talk about communities having internal economies and, and being able to uh, circulate their dollars within their community for a certain period of time before it even goes into the hands of either the government or, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the people who control this country. So, you know, when we're talking about Chinese internal economy. Their money passes through a Chinese person's hand 10 plus times before it leaves out of that community. Jewish people 15 plus times before it leaves out of that community. For black people, our dollars may touch another black person's hand once before it leaves out of our community. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I never I never thought of it like that or looked at it like that, but that's definitely true. Imagine um even when you just look at the um look at clothes. Let's just talk about that. Uh, let's say a friend of yours, uh, they start their own clothing company. How much um how much attention do you think that your friend would get with his clothes as opposed to, you know, a coach or a Gucci or uh, a Louis Vuitton. And I'm saying, you know, those are bad places or bad things when you talk about the, the spending coming out of the community and stuff. Those are things that we have to be held accountable for. Um, you know, we are quick to, you know, support everybody else. However, you know, with me saying that, that's kind of a double-edged sword because let's not get it twisted. I am also one of those people that will be like, you know, yeah, you know, we you know, we got to spend in our community and do this for our community. But, you know, it's hard for me to spend in my community, too, because every time I feel like I interact with a business within our community, I get some of the worst right, customer service known to man. So <laughs> it's it's like a double-edged sword sometimes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can get with that. I mean, for me, I I will go out of my way to support a black business. Um, and even to the point of receiving what we would refer to as subpar service or subpar product. And the reason I feel that way is simply because 
the head start that was given to certain cultures in this country, well, most of its cultures in this country, but black people, the advantages and the, the head start that was given to those people is something that we have to catch up to. You know, for us to expect for a business to automatically come out and have, for one, great food and great service. When I'm sure when McDonald's first came out, it was like, oh, okay, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is new. It's an assembly line. It's fast. I can get it, but it's not the greatest burger I've ever had in my life. McDonald's still isn't the greatest burger I've ever had in my life. They still don't have the greatest customer service. But at the end of the day, they filled a need and people continue to go to them because they were supporting what the idea was behind the business. I see where this is going. I see that this is something new. I see that this can be something bigger. I, could, I see that some, that this can be something better. And once they actually had the opportunity to, to invest in people who knew things about customer service and came in and taught people how to conduct customer service and take those, you know, those, those hits on the chin or those lumps throughout the day and provide that stellar customer service, they had to hire the people, you know, who would work. So there's no telling if the, the very first McDonald's had fantastic customer service. There's no telling if McDonald's had, you know, the, the ice cream machine worked every time you went there. But people continue to support because, for one, I mean, obviously during that time it was, you know, whites-only properties and things of that sort. So he had an, an inborn internal economy. I've got people who, you know, I, I, I took the assembly line idea for making these burgers from, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, I believe it was two brothers, two black brothers, who started a, a really small burger chain. He went there, saw that they were, you know, mass producing these burgers, took the idea, ran with it. But you know what, you know, their internal economy said, hey. You know, we, we've got somebody over here who's able to make burgers really quick. They're not terrible. So, you know, let, let, let's go ahead and go over to this guy. He's, he's awesome. We can get burgers in two minutes. Yeah, the service may not be great. Yeah, the burger was bad the last time. But, hey, you know, it's quick. It's easy. You know, I'm supporting my guy over here. Let's keep it going. I mean, no, I understand that's that. That's kind of fine and dandy when it's when it's one burger place around, and and the next one is not for like seven miles. So you know, that's what I think about when we think talk about like the origins of McDonald's. My problem is that you know it's 2020, so you know certain resources, yeah. But even if we talk about like just basic customer service, hi, bye, you know that. There, that could be found everywhere, and there's a lot of good examples of places that do it well. So even where you don't even, where if you don't have the, you know, the the private education and you know the college degree and and the teachings of hospitality or things of that nature, you're able to go to a place, engage. They're doing something right. This is what good customer service is. I think sometimes, you know. We we make too many like excuses for ourselves sometimes, and I feel like you know, I just like 
us as a people, we're so used to being at the the bottom end of the stick that that's just where we're used to being at. And the moment that we try and we don't do things the proper way or things don't go well, sometimes I feel like we make excuses for ourselves instead of just trying to make, you know, take the time to actually, you know, learn from them. You know, even when we, like I'm saying, even when we talking about this customer service thing, you know, I could go to Chick-fil-A, and yes, they're like this big national brand, of course, and, you know, every Chick-fil-A you go to, you'll meet the same type of person. You know, it doesn't have to be Chick-fil-A, but, you know, if I went to go get my hair cut by Keisha or whatever, I would expect, you know, like very basic things for my appointment time to be, you know, to be um, kept for, you know, a nice, normal, positive attitude. You don't have to be like, you know, you don't have to be like, hi, thank you, come again. Like, you don't have to do nothing crazy. But, you know, positive energy is something that, you know, works. I feel like, like you know, the normal makings of normal good customer service are kind of like just kind of like the normal makings of what make a good person. So, I don't know. Just when it comes to certain things, I don't know. I feel like they're like human values. But at the same time, we're at a place where the human values are changing. So maybe that's why I'm not able to get customer service in a good way no more. <laughs> so I, I think the biggest um, barrier to customer service is, honestly, the, the, the technology that we have. So when I go to Google, I get an answer right away, automatically. When I go to, to Facebook, I'm able to update my status right away. When I go in, I, I check out and try to buy something from, you know, say Walmart or somewhere, which I do not support Walmart, but either way, um, <laughs> you know, if I check out online, I, instantly my checkout is done. So we've become this instant gratification society. And, and for us, it takes a personal touch to provide customer service the right way. You know, and in such a rush society, providing that personal touch with customer service becomes a little bit harder because, yeah, I want you to get to know me. Yeah, I want you to treat me right. Yeah, I want you to treat me like family to the point where when I come in here as a black person and I see you're a black person who owns this restaurant, I'm looking for a family discount, even if I'm joking. I still want us to have that type of feeling, but I need you to get me in and out as soon as possible. So it's kind of trying to find the medium between customers and those who are providing customer service because you can be a bad customer. I've seen plenty of bad customers. I've spoken to plenty of bad customers who didn't realize well, that they were just being a bad customer. But I mean, they're who, here. I, I'm like, and trust me, I work, like I said, I'm a manager, I work in food. So I, I see them from both ends. I see the, the bad workers and I see the bad customers. I just, I just know when I go out that, you know, it's very basic things that I even look for. I feel like, you know, maybe I might be hard to judge. I used to ask myself, maybe I'm a hard judge on people because I've served, I've bartended, you know, food, this is like my passion, so everything, when you think of that, I've probably done it. Um, so, you know, I'm probably more critical than most. But to believe it or not, I'm not. I'm probably more understanding than most, because everything that you could think of, I've probably experienced it myself when it comes to, like, being in the kitchen and, and working at these places and, like, just wait times. Every excuse you could give me, I've, like, I've been through it. So I'm usually always pretty, like, you know, I'm pretty level-headed. 
But you know, well, well, I just want people to get the basics down. Thank you. We, we've got to take into account. Bye. We've got <laughs> to take into account the fact that most people haven't had those experiences, and even if they have, they're so far removed or far enough removed where they aren't empathizing with the person who's in that situation. I mean, I'm in this group that's called No Karens, and one of the things that constantly comes up is the the topic of tipping. And even though most people don't know the history of tipping, which it, it has a very racist history in America, actually didn't start anywhere but in America, if I'm correct. It might have started overseas somewhere else, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> no, I think but it's an America thing. But it see, was, you talked a whole different realm in tipping. I was just still speaking a normal, just... Just normal, hello. How you doing? I mean, you know, like just like, is, I should, like those things are like what matter the most to me. But yeah, tipping when, is a whole a whole when I, itself. So when I go into a restaurant, I automatically automatically go in knowing that I'm going to to tip at least fifteen percent, no matter how good or how bad the service is. You could have cussed mm-hmm. me and my whole family out. I'm still going to tip you fifteen percent. And can I ask you why? Why? Like, you know, because the people need to hear this. Why do you continue to tip? Why do you Why do you go in with those expectations? Please tell us. So, if I am a doctor, I'm a doctor. I perform a surgery. I'll let you know what the, the risks are. I'll let you know what could happen. And one of those things happens. You end up, you know, losing a limb or losing you know, function of something, whatever it is for anybody out there who has experienced that, I feel for you. I apologize for even bringing this into the conversation, but it's my example. Now, as a doctor, you are still going to get paid. Even if they, you know, hit you with a malpractice suit, you've still been paid for services rendered. Mm -hmm. Now, as a temper, you are allowed to mess up. You're allowed to have a bad day. You're a human being. You're allowed to, to, to provide terrible service from time to time. Now, if I come on a regular basis and you're still a terrible server every time I come in, that 15% is going to dwindle itself down. But if it's a one-off chance that I'm in here, I'm in here with my family, we're enjoying ourselves, you may not have asked anything about our drinks, you may not have refilled anything, you may not have asked how our day was or how our meal is, we may not even know your name. Every single time we put our hand up, you walk past until somebody taps you. Um, all of that doesn't make any difference as to how you feed your family. How you feed your family is majority through tips. So at the end of the day, it's not my job to pay you less than what it is that I'm supposed to pay you because your kids need to eat. Your job is telling I mean, me you get $2.50 per hour plus tips, and I'm going to say, okay, you're, I was here for an hour, and you're only worth $2.50. The time that you took away from your family is only worth $2.50. The time that you spent to get to work, the shit you got to put up with with all these different customers and maybe all the different people on your, on your job, and you're, 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 you, know, you, you might be behind on your child support or behind on your bills, whatever it is that you're dealing with. I'm not going to tell you that your time is only worth $2.50. Yeah, it's a very, like, it's a, doing in that culture, it's a, I feel like it's a lot that goes into the whole tipping um, thing. I also feel like um, there's just a complete cultural difference. Like, 
black people, the way we look at dining out, a majority of us, and the way other cultures look at dining out are almost two completely different things. Like when you think of places like Applebee's, to some people, like, you know, that's like, that's like the place they go on special occasions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we look at a lot of a lot of us look at like going out to eat as like something like a, of a celebratory thing or whatever. And a lot of people that a lot of other cultures they go out to eat like just to eat like just we didn't feel like cooking at night so we're going to come someplace and we're going out to eat. And that's why you see places like Applebee's and and, and those places that exist like that. Um, and yeah, it just. There's so much that goes into it. It's just crazy because, you know, this is, we make, like, I love our people at the end of the day, but sometimes they can make you so angry. Like I said, you know, we're talking about tipping. I've served before, so I know what it's like when, you know, you get a, a table full of your people. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been there where I get a table, we're laughing and joking, we're having a great time. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, black people will run you until your kneecaps fall off. You know, they'll ask for everything under the sun. And for some way, like, you'll, you'll be able to do it from them. They'll spend a lot of money, $170, $180. Some people leave, they won't leave you anything. Some people leave, they'll leave you $5. You know, like, those, like, it's just, you just have to, it just take a lot of strength to teach that to yourself and just be like, okay, just on to the next, on to the next. But it's 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 just sad. It's sad when you put all that work and you do all these things and you make people feel good about themselves. That's what it. That's what it literally is. People go out to eat. They want to have a good time with their family. They want to have a good time with their friends. They want to go out and have a good time. So you, your job is basically to make them feel good about themselves. And you do all that for the time they're doing there, and it's just like a slap in the face. Oh yeah, I mean yet. Now, all right. So, I will admit that my best customers have always been black people, and I don't know why that is. I have absolutely no clue. Maybe it's because I exude all of this blackness. <laughs> but for me, I, I've never really been treated wrong by a customer. Let's. Let's get that straight. I got a couple of stories about two two individuals who, you know, didn't particularly care for black people, but we've only got five more minutes left, so I'll share, share that story at a different time. But outside of that, um, I've never really had a customer get upset with me personally. And, and maybe it's because I don't take what I'm doing professionally personally. You know, if I'm selling an item and you don't want me selling you this item, okay, you're mad at the item. You're not mad at me. And, uh, you know, if I can interject, I know that firsthand because, like I said, we all worked at Minix. We worked yep. for Consumers Energy. And, Brandon, you are the only person that I knew. <laughs> Nobody would ever go off on you, and you always <laughs> sold a plan, always an appliance protection plan. All the time, it was you. You know how many stories you, you like. It just, just, you know how many stories I have from that place, and you can be able to say like, "Yeah, I don't get cussed out." And you know, I just don't. You know, look, I was one of those people that have tried to do what I can for everybody. That just seems that I can always come up like I can always end up getting cussed out. Maybe I just have a face that just says, you know, maybe I have a face that says, "Hey, cuss me out. I can handle it." But yeah, I always get cussed out by customers. See. Like, what I've, I've learned about customer service is the best customer service, and, and 
the people who provide the best customer service are always teetering on the brink of getting fired. <laughs> you might have done just a little bit too much this time and you're like you know what I, I'm, I'm going to have to go home and tell my girl I got can today like, I don't know if I should have done that for this customer but you know uh, I'm doing my best when when you're providing great customer service unless you work for a, co- a company like uh, Nordstrom who you know impresses upon their customer service associates to, to go above and beyond for the customer. But, you know, when you're working like for a place like where we used to work, I mean, I, every time that a manager walked past my desk, I was like, yeah, it's going to be time for me to pack this up if they listen to that last call. Because <laughs> I have promised this customer everything under the sun that I can possibly promise them. I done gave them an extension. I've sent a, 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 I, I sent a, a, I used to be able to send messages directly to the dudes working in the field. I don't know how I was, but when I had the access, oh, you best believe I'm sending you back to this person's house to cut their stuff back on. I was not supposed to be doing that stuff. But that's the reason why I wasn't getting cussed out. Because at the end of the day, if you fire me for caring about human beings, fire me. I'm cool with it. And on that note, uh, we've got two minutes left in the radio show. And what we discussed earlier on last week or later on last week, sometime when we talked the other day, I've been drinking a little bit. But (laughs) uh, we want to end with love. Uh, and, and that's a perfect note to end on because at the end of the day, it was all about showing other human beings love. Uh, it's not about what color you are, what creed you are, where you stand as far as your sexual orientation, where you stand as far as your political affiliation, religious affiliation. We love you all. We accept you all. We are going to be here to talk about the topics that you want to talk about. In two weeks, we will be back. We will be back with Three Sided Story. Hopefully, we will have our beautiful, beautiful co-host, Shannon Green, with us next time. She'll be able to share her intro. We will be able to talk about some of the things that uh, she posts on her uh, social media. Go follow her, Shannon Green, on Facebook. You can follow me, Brandon Remsen, on Facebook. You can follow Deontay Quinn on Facebook. Uh, We have all of our names spelled correctly in the bio. Um, Deontay, got about a couple more seconds left before we get out of here. Any other words? Um, I mean, not too many. I just um, hope that just um, moving forward to everybody, just stay safe. Um, you know, stay in the house, wash your hands, um, social Amen. distance, all of that nature. Um, and just um, during this time, yes, you know, I know it's hard, but um, just, you know, take the time to heal delicious with your family. Um, work on yourself. Yes. Do the things you need to do. And, um, yeah, just I want everybody just to be blessed and just to stay safe. Oh, for sure. All right, so I don't know how much longer we have, but until we are out of here, I once, once again want to reiterate how much we love you all. Thank you all for being here with us today. And uh, we welcome you all back in two weeks. We will be once again live. Uh, we will get all of our information up there so you guys reach out to us throughout, I'm sorry, throughout the weeks and, uh, you know, send in some questions or some show inspirations or, you know, just some stories. Once again, love you all. All Okay. (laughs) 
tell you guys, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the next two weeks until we reconnect with you guys. We love you, and we will see you all then.